Hey, so this morning as we begin um, our Christmas series, uh, it's called It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Christmas. Uh, I want to bring up a term which I'm guessing that everybody is familiar with is FOMO. Is that a familiar kind of terminology which is fear of missing out? And, uh, and I know that, like, you know, throughout my life I've had FOMO, especially, like, I think when I was in college, I don't even know that term existed, but I had FOMO in college because I never wanted to go to bed early. Like, if you went to bed, like, at 10 or 11 instead of, like, 1 a.m., you would miss the fun stuff that happened in the dorm. So that was kind of my life in college, always staying up late. But I think, you know, FOMO is kind of a reality. It's like, we don't want to miss out on something really good. And when I think about Christmas... I actually think there is a FOMO, and I want you to have a healthy dose of fear of missing out this morning, because I know that as I look back over the Christmases that I have been a part of, that there are some times when I get to the end of the Christmas season, maybe it's, you know, the night of the 25th or the morning of the 26th, and I look back and I go, I've missed Christmas. And not that I didn't give a sermon on, Christmas, on, you know, on Jesus, and not that I didn't give presents or go to parties, but, but there are some years where I look back and I go, I just sort of missed what Christmas is all about. I didn't stop and really reflect on the birth of the Savior. And I don't want that to happen for any of us this year. And so I want to talk a little bit this morning about how we can not miss out on celebrating the Christ of Christmas and how we can kind of prepare our hearts and through this time between now and December the 25th. And I would even say this, if you're here this morning, you're watching this morning, and you would say, I'm not a Christian. I'm just kind of checking this out. I came with a friend. I'm not really sure I believe in this whole virgin birth and Jesus died on the cross for my sins. If you're kind of trying to figure that out, I would even say that this Christmas season is a great time for you to actually figure it out to ask the tough questions, to get those questions answered for you. And so what we're going to do over the course of the next three or four weeks uh, is we're going to look at pairs of people. Uh, So today we're going to look at the wise men and Herod. Next week we're going to look at Mary and Joseph. And the week after that we're going to look at the angels and the shepherds. And then that will take us to December 19th. And then for Christmas Eve services, uh, we're going to have one service on the 23rd, which is going to be at 5.30, uh, and we cleverly call that Christmas Adam. Get it? That's funny. You don't know funny. I know funny. Christmas Adam service is on the 23rd uh, at 5.30, and then the Christmas Eve service, now you get, oh, there you go. Christmas Eve service will be at 4 and 5.30 on the 24th. Um, and so you can come to any of those. They'll all be identical services. But you know, Christmas, when we talk about Christmas, Christ is in Christmas. It's Christ or Christ Mass, the Mass of Christ. So why is it when we call it Christ, it's right in the name, that there are years and times that sometimes we completely miss the fact that the point is to celebrate the birth of Christ. And I think one of the reasons, and I've got a couple of ideas about why that might be, and maybe you have some different ideas, but I think one of the reasons is that December is one of the busiest months of the year. And we have so much going on that the busyness in our lives just crowds out Jesus. I mean, think about it. We redecorate the entire interior of our house, and sometimes we decorate the exterior of our house. 
we send 200 cards to our closest friends, address, mailing, and all that kind of stuff. We bake cookies and treats with calories that we don't need. And we attend Christmas parties with people that we don't like that much. And we add all of this into one month. And it's like, man, the struggle is real. And that, but the thing is, what's the name of the holiday? It's not called Busymus. It's called Christmas. But you know, we get so busy and we miss that. You know, I think another reason that we miss the Christ of Christmas is that Christmas is fun. Like there is a lot about the Christmas season that has nothing to do with Jesus. And the fact is we can just call it what it is. It is fun. You know, I love to watch the Christmas movies. I love to get presents and give presents. I love to drink Chick-fil-A peppermint milkshakes. Like there's a lot of fun and calories in Christmas. But again, it's not called funmus. It's called Christmas. You know, or another one, and this is, um, I think, the biggest competition, honestly, to the Jesus part of Christmas, and it's family. And, and, I'm, and you know, for some of you, you're like, man, I love being with my family, and some of you guys are like, y'all, I don't want to be with my family at all. But, but family is something that people talk about a lot at Christmas. I was actually out yesterday interviewing some people about some different stuff, and you'll kind of catch on to this in a couple of weeks, but I was asking people questions like, what's important to you about Christmas, or what do you like best about Christmas, or what's the most memorable thing? And almost every person said family. And family's great, but it's not called family must. It's called Christ must. And so again, I, I share these these three kind of things that I look at, maybe you add other things like, why do we miss Christmas? It's because of some of these things. And so my goal this morning is that we would put some things in place in our lives over the next 20 days that we wouldn't miss the Christ of Christmas. So we're going to start today in Matthew chapter 2. So if you brought your Bible with you, open up to Matthew chapter 2. If you have it on an app, you can open that up. And uh, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Um, God, I pray that as we look into your word, that you would help us to see the Christ of Christmas, that you would focus our hearts and our minds, and you would show us some things to do over these next 20 days that we wouldn't miss the Christ of Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I was in ninth grade English class, my teacher, Mr. Eisman, I still remember him, Mr. Eisman would often assign uh, writing assignments to us where he would say, compare and contrast, right? Anybody ever have those assignments when you were in high school or middle school? Yep, compare and contrast. You know, it'd be like, compare and contrast the Montagues and the Capulets from uh, Romeo and Juliet, or compare and contrast Lenny and Carl, I think the guy's names are, in, of Mice's Men, Compare and Contrast. And I think about those assignments, I'm like, why didn't they give us like fun assignments, like compare uh, Buddy the Elf to Ralphie from A Christmas Story? Like that would be a fun thing to write about. What, are they, what were their fears? What are they like? But they didn't. They gave us this stuff that I didn't care that much about. But I share this with you because that Compare and Contrast is a style of literature, okay? And as we look at this passage in Matthew chapter 2, Matthew is sharing with us the Christmas story, an element or a part of the birth of Christ, but he's using that sort of English tool of compare and contrast. 
that as we read this, he wants us to see and kind of ask the question, am I like the wise men or am I like Herod? And so we're going to look at that and we're going to compare and contrast the wise men to Herod this morning. So it begins this way. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, they're called wise men. Sometimes they're called the three kings. Sometimes they're called the magi. People call them different things. But in fact, what they were is they were astrologers. And they would read the stars, and that's kind of how they kind of would try and predict the future. They would read the stars, and then they would say, this is what's going to happen. And it says that they came from the east. And what that means is, and the reason he includes that detail, is because the astrologers or the wise men who were from the east were considered the best in the world. They were the best in the world. It's sort of like when somebody talks about soccer, and if they have an English accent, you're like, oh, they clearly know more about soccer than I do. It's that same sort of thing. It's like, okay, the astrologers, the wise men from the East, like they know what they're talking about. Now, we assume, because there's three presents, that there were three wise men. There could have been two. There could have been eight, 12, 15. We don't know. But what we do know is that they traveled a long way following a star to get to where they were. But before they arrive in Bethlehem, they arrive in Jerusalem. And so they go and they begin to inquire about Jesus, and not particularly Jesus, but they don't know his name yet, but they say, where is the one born king of the Jews? So then here's what happens, verse 3. It says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where is the Christ to be born? They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, so is written by the prophet. Now, when they came to Jerusalem and said, where is the one born the king of the Jews? The first response was not, where is the Messiah? The first response would have been Herod's children. And I can imagine, so Herod was a polygamist. He had multiple wives, multiple mistresses. And so when they come to town, they're like, hey, where's the king of the Jews? You know what Herod probably did? He probably called in his wives. He's like, did any of you guys have any kids recently? Mistresses, any of you guys have any? You didn't? Okay, so it's not my child they're looking for. And then he realizes that there's another person who the astrologers, the wise men say, is going to be born king of the Jews. And so at that point, he becomes concerned. And so he calls in these different groups of people, and he's like, okay, tell me, where is this person to be born? Where is the Christ to be born? And so they tell him, in Bethlehem. And then they say, and this is how we know. This is verse 6. It says, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So it was prophesied in the Old Testament that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. And so they say this great shepherd will come. Now, remember that this is a compare and contrast. So we look at this and we say, what's the difference between the wise men and Herod? What could Herod have done at this point in time? He had the information. He could have gone to Bethlehem. But he didn't. He stayed there and he said, why don't you guys go find this child, this person, this next king of the Jews, and come and tell me about him. So it says this. 
Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them the time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may worship him. Now, I'm going to assume that most of you know how this story turns out. If you don't, this is a bit of a spoiler alert. Um, but basically what happens is that Herod is lying. He doesn't want to go and worship um, the baby Jesus. Uh, he's lying because he wants to find out where he is. And so that's important as we see what happens next, okay? So then it says this, verse 9. It says, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now, before we go to the end of the story, again, the, uh, before we kind of talk about the first contrast, we need to go to the end of the story and see what exactly it was that Herod did. This is verse 16. It says, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all the region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So Herod, the wise men, they don't come back to tell Herod. He realizes that he's been tricked, and so what he does is he says, I want to kill all the baby boys in Bethlehem, two years old and younger, because they are a threat to my power. And we don't know if there were three or 10 or 15 or 20. We don't know how many there were. But you hear that, and you're like, could that really be true? I mean, is this stuff made up? Because what kind of monster would commit genocide, would commit genocide infanticide, against all of these baby boys just to protect his power. I mean, seriously, what kind of monster would do that? That's the kind of monster that Herod was, that we learn from other sources that write about his life. That he strangled one of his, one of his wives to death out of fear of what she might do. He had a whole bunch of sons. He had three of his sons killed. One of his peers at the time had the saying, said, you know what? It's better to be one of Herod's pigs than one of his sons because you have a better chance at survival. That's the kind of monster that he was. He wanted to maintain the status quo. He wanted to maintain the power that he had in his life. He wanted to maintain the, the comfort that he had in his life. And he was afraid that some king would come and take that from him. So here's our first compare and contrast. And it's actually, ironically, a similarity. The wise men were seekers, and Herod was a seeker. The wise men were seekers, and Herod was a seeker. The difference is, of course, what they were each seeking. That what was Herod seeking? Herod was seeking the preservation of his own power. He wanted the status quo of his ruling area to stay the same. He didn't want that to be changed. He wanted that comfort in his life. We want to be seekers of Jesus like the wise men were. And if you think about it, they continued to seek after him. 
that they spent months and months and months following the star. And then they arrive in Jerusalem, kind of close but not exactly there, and then they continue on. And they're not going to be deterred by some monster crazy king getting in their way. And I love what verse 10 says about them. It says, the end of verse 10 says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And you look at that, and that's like a quadruple joy. It says they saw the star and they rejoiced exceedingly great and joy. Four things because they wanted to seek and find Jesus. And my hope and my prayer for us is that we would seek to find Jesus. And to be honest, for me, not just at Christmas time, not just in December, like it does, I don't, I don't know how to say this, I don't know how good it, how much good it does in your life if all you do is seek Jesus in the month of December and then the rest of the month, you, months you forget him, Adam. What my hope is, is that we can see some things in these stories and learn some things over the course of this month that will keep us seeking after Jesus all year round. Because in, in some ways, the month of December is kind of like low-hanging fruit. It's like, well, it's, it, it's a little bit easier in some ways. It's a little bit harder in other ways, but it's a little bit easier in some ways to seek Jesus in December because it's all around us. There's stars and trees and things and lights that are all reminders to seek after Jesus. I want to give you a couple of practical ways that you can seek after Jesus. The first is this, and I would challenge every person here to do this, is read the Christmas story on your own. Just read the Christmas story. And it's not long. It's only in two books of the Bible. The book of Matthew, chapter 1 and 2, and the book of Luke, chapter 1 and 2. That's the entirety of it. But between now and Christmas, read for yourself the Christmas story. If you want some help with that, we have like a little devotional out at the Welcome Center. It's just a little card that'll guide you through and help you to read it over about 15 or 20 days. You can grab that out at the Welcome Center if you want. Here's the second uh, challenge that I would have for you, is read a book or read a devotional related to Christmas. So I've, uh, during communion, I shared, you that, uh, shared that book by, called Hidden Christmas by Tim Keller. That's the book that I'm reading uh, this year. Uh, last year, I read a book uh, by Max Lucado called uh, Because of Bethlehem, uh, or if you live in Charleston, you'd think it's Luckadoo, but it's Lucado, <laughs> the street, yeah. So. Um, so, but here's the thing is, find a book to read. Or here's another place to look. There's a, an app which everybody can get. It's free. It's called Version. That's what the icon of it looks like. Go to Version uh, and then just click uh, or do a search for Christmas and it'll give you 15, 25, maybe 30 or more different devotionals. There are like five-day ones, 10-day ones, 25-day devotionals where you read a, a few verses from Scripture and then you read sort of somebody's thoughts on it. But I encourage you, as you seek Christ at Christmas. Again, the purpose is we don't want to miss Christmas. I don't want you to arrive on December 26th and go, man, I wish I'd read the Christmas story. I want you to arrive on Christmas morning and go, I've read the Christmas story. Let's read my favorite part again. So the story continues in verse 11. It says this. It says, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Here's the second comparison. Is the wise men were humble and Herod was prideful. The wise men were humble and Herod 
was prideful. Now, we can obviously see Herod's pride throughout this entire story, but you look at the wise men, and you see their humility here, that they went and they fell down on their faces in worship of this child. And we don't know how old Jesus was at this point in time. He could have been just an infant. He could have been a toddler. It could have been one or two. Uh, we don't for sure know how old he was. But they fall down and worship in front of this baby. And it's just kind of an odd and interesting scene to think about. And this is a bit of an odd stretch, and some of you would be like, yeah, that's a great illustration. And some of you would be like, I'm never coming back here. Um, but in the movie Talladega Nights, <laughs> right, there's the famous prayer by Ricky Bobby where he says, Dear Lord Baby Jesus, in your golden fleece with your tiny balled-up fists, six-pound, eight-ounce infant Jesus, so cuddly and still omnipotent, right? You guys know that. Nobody wants to admit that they watched that movie, that part of it. But we laugh at that, right? Some of you are offended by that, but most of us laugh at that, right? And why do we laugh at that? Because it's so absurd in this family setting, and they're going to pray to six-pound, eight-ounce Jesus. Like, that's just funny and weird. And that's what the wise men do. Isn't that crazy? Ricky Bobby catching a bit of theology that's accurate in, his, in that movie, right? But you see, you look at the wise men and their humility, and you say, let us have that same humility that they had. Let's not be like, the, like Herod in his pride, and not that our pride even approaches the pride that he has. But I do think that there's times and things that we can look at in our lives and go, do I have humility towards God in this? Or do I say, I'm going to do it my own way. I know this is how God says to do this or relationship or whatever, but I'm going to do this my own way. That's pride. And so part of seeking Jesus at Christmas is laying aside our pride and humbly saying, I will follow you, Jesus, in however you lead in my life. The second half of this verse says, Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And may maybe you've heard this, but the gold represents, these three things represent who Jesus would become. The gold represented that he would become a king, king of our hearts and our lives. The frankincense representing incense, that he would be a priest. And what a priest does is he reconciles God and man. And Jesus was the ultimate reconciler of God and man. And myrrh was a burial spice, kind of like embalming fluid. It symbolized that his purpose in life was to die for us. Now, I don't know if Mary and Joseph knew this symbolism or figured it out later or if the wise men knew, but part of the story is seeing this is who Jesus would become. But the wise men gave these presents and laid them at the foot of Jesus. So here's our third contrast. The wise men were givers and Herod was a taker. So we look at Herod, it's pretty obvious. He was a taker of lives, murdering innocent children in Bethlehem. But the wise men, on the other hand, are a great example of how to see Jesus by giving. So for us to be a seeker of Jesus Part of that means that we are also givers of Jesus. And I would encourage you as you seek Jesus, not to just go, I need Jesus for me, I need Jesus for me, I need Jesus for me, but to seek Jesus and say, I want Jesus for me 
but I also want Jesus for other people. And maybe as you think about the gifts that you're going to give to your coworkers or people in your family, and maybe someone who's not even a believer in Christ or doesn't believe in the Christmas story, they're just doing Christmas because it's fun. Maybe give them a book that'll make them think a little bit. Maybe give them a book about the meaning of Christmas. Maybe give them a book about something that you've struggled with or that you've, that's helped you. But give a book, maybe consider that as a little bit of a risk. You know, another really practical way to be a giver at Christmas is to invite somebody to come and be a part of our Christmas Eve services. We've got three services a couple different times so that we can invite people to that. I was, I spent yesterday, I, we got new phone plans for our family, so I spent like, I don't know, 49 hours at the phone store. You've been through that, right? At the phone store. So I'm getting to know the guy pretty well as we're chatting and figuring stuff out. And afterwards, I'm like, hey, if you're looking for a place for, come to, for Christmas Eve, come to River Ridge. It was totally simple, totally just in line with the conversation. Look for those opportunities to invite people to be a giver, to be a seeker by inviting people to experience Christ. Here's the final example from the wise men. It comes from the next verse. This is verse 12. It says, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The last one is very simple. The wise men obeyed, Herod disobeyed. The wise men obeyed Jesus, obeyed God, Herod disobeyed. And you can see Herod's disobedience, pretty obvious, lying, deception, murder, abuse of power, all of those things. But the angel comes and he says, don't return to Herod. And so they had to go a different way back to their country. And so this week, I actually did a little bit of geography sort of studying in terms of where, where things fit and things. And it's really interesting. Uh, as I was reading about, if you, if so, if they're in Bethlehem, in order to go back east to where they're from, it's not easy. The easiest way is you just go back to Jerusalem, you hang a left, and then off you go, right? But he says, don't go back that way. And so for them to obey, they actually had to go very far out of their way in order to get back to where they're from. And then I began to put that in the context of us to help us to understand this a little bit. Uh, if you're here at River Ridge Church, okay, you're here at our campus here at 2090 Greenbrier Street, and I said, I want you to go to Beckley, but don't go through Charleston. That's kind of a challenge, isn't it? Right? So you can't just go south on, one, on uh, 114 because you'll end up in Charleston and then, then go, left, you know, go west on 64, 70. It doesn't work, right? You go, well, I'll go up to the big chimney exit and I'll go down 77, but then you end up at the same place, right? There really isn't a simple way. I even looked at a map. Like you basically go up to Clendenin and then kind of over to Clay County, 16, and then down Fayetteville and that way. That's, or you go all the way up 79, down 119 and south, Right? That's way too much geography and directions. This is not map quest class. But here's the thing is, if you think about it, like that's not easy. You got to kind of figure out, how do I get there? It'd be easier, I'll just go through Charleston and then I'll get to Beckley. And I say that because the wise men were faced with a difficult task. And for us, it's like 30 more minutes to not go through Charleston to get to Beckley if we went one of these other ways. For them, it was days and days and days adding to their journey. It was difficult. And sometimes, following Jesus, seeking Jesus, obeying God is difficult. We want the easy way. The wise men, in their seeking after Jesus, 
obeyed God and took the difficult way. And I would put that out to you. It's, do you obey God even when it's hard, even when it's challenging? There's an old saying, and maybe you've thought of this when I gave this message. It's, wise men still seek him. And it's true. Wise men do still seek Jesus. And this Christmas, do you want to seek Christ in humility? Seek him in giving. Seek him in obedience. And as I think about compare and contrast, I want to ask you and close with this question of a compare and contrast question. If you decide that you want to seek Jesus, not just in December, but really, truly seek after him, and you know what that looks like, if you really wanted to do that, to give all, to give everything to seeking after him, how would your life look different than just continuing on the path that you're on? How would your life look different? Compare your life on the path it's on to a life that is truly seeking and sold out for Jesus every moment of every day. And my hope and my prayer and my challenge is that for the month of December that we would go for that and we would get a glimpse of what it looks like to truly seek after Jesus.